Welcome to episode 192 of the Engineering Career Coach Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping engineers and technical professionals with both their personal and professional development. I am your host, Anthony Fasano. I'm a licensed professional engineer who practiced as an engineer, but eventually decided I wanted to focus more on inspiring engineers rather than doing the engineering myself. So since then, I've written a book entitled Engineer Your Own Success, and I've traveled the world helping engineers. And through this podcast, Myself and my co-host, Chris Knutson, try to bring you information that can help you succeed in every episode. People had their doubts about this podcast taking off, but since inception, we've had close to 2 million downloads and have been cited by Forbes as one of the top 15 most inspiring podcasts for professionals. Now, here's a short preview of this episode in which I'll be speaking with Rich Archbold, Senior Director of Engineering at Intercom, about an article he wrote entitled, People Leave Managers, Not companies. In general, I have a motto of my job isn't to be the smartest person in the room. My job is to figure out who the smartest person is in the room relating to any given topic and make sure we ask that person for their advice and listen to it. My co-host Chris and I both believe that in order to be the best engineer you can be, you must be consistently getting better, get better at your craft, your people skills, and as a leader. And that's why we published this free podcast to help you do just that. In this episode, you're going to listen to a conversation between me and Rich Archbold about this idea of people really do quit their managers. They don't leave their companies. They quit their managers. Rich Archbold is Senior Director of Engineering at Intercom, where he leads teams that build and operate world-class, mission-critical technology products and services. Since joining Intercom in 2011, Rich has led, championed, and grown Intercom's ops, infrastructure, and product engineering teams. The team has seen massive success, now powering more than 450 million conversations with 1 billion end users for the company's 25,000 plus customers. Prior to Intercom, he held engineering roles at Facebook and Amazon. Rich holds a patent for risk-aware domain name service filed in 2012 and received a Bachelor's of Technology from the Dublin Institute of Technology. Before we get started with Rich, this of course is a free show and our sponsors help us to keep it free, so we ask you to please support them. And now I'd like to recognize our sponsors for this episode. Firstly, I would like to recognize our sponsor, PPI, by asking you to listen up later on in this episode for my advice on how to advance your career in 2019. I'll be sharing info on where to find practical tips and time-tested resources for your licensure exam, including an exclusive 20% discount available only to our listeners. Don't miss it. I would also like to recognize our sponsor, WPI. If you're in the market for a master's degree, you're going to love our sponsor. Worcester Polytechnic Institute was one of the first engineering and technology universities in the U.S., and they now offer their most popular graduate programs 100% online. Level up in robotics, data science, power systems, mechanical engineering, biotechnology, systems engineering, and more from anywhere in the world. Stay tuned for more about WPI later in this episode. Now, let me bring you into our main segment with a quote that is applicable to today's topic. The quote is from Arsene Wenger. A manager is a guide. He takes a group of people and says, with you, I can make us a success. I can show you. 
the way. All right, now I'm excited to welcome on Rich Archbold to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. Rich is Senior Director of Engineering at Intercom, and he's here today to talk a little bit about engineering managers. Rich, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Anthony. It is wonderful to be here. It's great to have you because, you know, we've been doing a lot of research on what makes great managers, and sometimes you could do all this work in a company to build a culture, and you can get a manager that just makes things kind of go awry, and that's what we want to talk about today. But before we do that, Rich, why don't you just give our listeners kind of the little clip here about yourself and your own words and what you do on a day-to-day basis and quick insight around your career. Today, I am Senior Engineering Director at Software as a Service Startup called Intercom. I'm based in Dublin in Ireland. Today, I am a manager of managers and I manage Intercom's back-end engineering group. I've been at Intercom for about four and a half years now, kind of mostly doing the same role, managing managers. And my day-to-day is really all about helping those managers be absolute best they can be and helping them bring out the best in all of the engineers working for them as well. That's exactly kind of how I found Rich. Obviously, there's many people that work in different software companies, different startups across the country. And what led me specifically to Rich was I was doing some research because we are researching currently what makes effective engineering managers. And I stumbled upon an article that Rich wrote, which is entitled, People Leave Managers, Not Companies. Don't let that manager be you. It's a really interesting article and was a very interesting read about something that happened. I mean, this happens, like I said earlier, engineering companies put a lot of effort into building a certain kind of company, a certain kind of culture. But what happens many times is that you can have a manager who's just not a good manager, however you want to say it, and it causes problems. So Rich, what led you to write this article? I've been a manager for about 10 years. and. I was an engineer for probably about five or six years before that as well. And one of the things that actually led me to write this article was uh, Intercom was trying to hire some managers. We were actually trying to entice people to come and work for us as engineering managers in Dublin. And I was trying to uh, really explain to them what they would actually get if they came and worked for us at Intercom. And as part of that, I kind of took some time to reflect through my own management career and think about what is actually my management style? What is it I can actually try and help and teach these people who might actually come work uh, for us? This kind of journey of reflection was actually kind of a painful journey for me because it made me think about all of my own different kind of career turns as a manager, made me kind of reflect on how much actually I had learned and grown myself as a manager and think about all of the mistakes I had made. And so this article I wrote, People Leave Managers, Not Companies, is really kind of a reflection of all of the mistakes I've made, all of the lessons I've learned, and all of the things I would actually then try and teach people who actually came to work at Intercom. It was kind of really interesting for me to think about this myself and then also actually come across some of the studies cited in the article. I think there was one super interesting one there from Gallup, a really, really credible institute that had surveyed about 20,000 people. They had surveyed hundreds of companies 
who uh, hundreds of hiring managers who had hired about 20,000 people and they had followed all these people and found out after about 18 months, only about 50% of the people had been deemed successful hires and successful in the way that they had onboarded as hoped and were kind of doing really well. And it was really interesting for me to think of like only 50% of the people were actually deemed as successes. And the main reasons cited for people kind of failing in the role were all, they were all kind of about the people themselves. They were all about people hired weren't coachable. They weren't strong in emotional intelligence, weren't strongly motivated and things like that. And that really just resonated as wrong to me. It resonated that probably the most appropriate and humble lowest common denominator was that the managers themselves probably weren't right or probably just weren't as good as they thought they were. And so all of those things together really kind of inspired me to write this article. I think that's really interesting. And and the Gallup kind of survey that you're referring to is a really, really good one. In fact, we've gone through it several times. It's a good 50-page report, but it has a lot of data in there. And some of the stuff is really mind-blowing in terms of the lack of engagement in the corporate world. Some of the other statistics that are listed in there is really eye-opening. But I think what you said here is really also eye-opening. The fact that of these 20,000 hires, 50% of them weren't deemed as successful by their managers because of these reasons, coachability, EI, motivation, temperament, technical competence. It's kind of like if 50% of new hires failed, I mean, how could you not attribute some of that to the managers? I mean, there's just like, that's such a big number. You can't just say that. The odds that 50% of the people that were hired in this study just weren't successful people or competent people is like, that would also raise a big red flag for me as well. They have to have, the managers have to have some kind of accountability around their people being successful as well. They do. And I think it's easy to blame the person on the other side of the table. As often as not, our own situational awareness isn't as good as we would like to think it is. Maybe... A little bit of ego gets in the way as well. And one of the other interesting things is I think one of the most important jobs of a manager of managers is to hire and train great frontline managers. So if a manager themselves isn't actually performing well, that's kind of really a reflection on the manager of managers. And so I think there's kind of a bunch of psychological factors in there which make it easy for us to blame the engineer or blame the individual contributor. And it takes a lot of courage and situational awareness and humility and training to help a manager realize that they are actually at least partially in the game here. And there's kind of an ownership and responsibility on you to um, be open and vulnerable and be self-aware and say, hey, maybe actually I'm the problem here. Listen, it's easy to blame someone, especially when they're new and they just got hired and not really integrated into the company yet. So this certainly can provide an easy out. But one of the first paragraphs of your article, I'm going to read here for a second because I want to focus on this for a sec. It says, the data suggests bad management is a real and significant issue. According to a study by Gallup, one in two people admitted to having left the job to get away from a bad manager. In fact, 70% of the factors that contribute to your happiness at work are directly related to your manager. And I think that this is a really important thing to kind of focus on because 
if you think about it, really, you do spend an awful lot of time with your manager on a weekly basis and interact with them so much and their guidance and it must have a significant impact in your career and really life overall, which is what this suggests. But also what I want to kind of talk about with Rich here is many of our listeners are engineering managers or they're aspiring to be engineering managers. So if this many people have quit companies because of their managers, as Rich kind of says in his article, we want to kind of help you so that the same thing doesn't happen to you. I thought, Rich, we can kind of walk through. You give really four pieces of advice in the article that I'd like to kind of go through with you. And the first one is always ask for advice. Can you talk about that one? This one kind of seems obvious to me after I kind of wrote it down. And one of the analogies I would draw here is, as an engineer, you would almost never do something, build something, write something, create something, and ship it to production, ship it to customers without actually getting some sort of a peer review. And for any of your listeners who are like software engineers, they would be intimately familiar with a pull request or a code review request. And for me, I would say the analogy is pretty much the exact same for manager. If you've got something important you need to do, if you have change you need to make, in particular, if it impacts people in any way, don't kind of ship it to production without actually getting some sort of feedback or advice from somebody. And the natural question or the natural kind of follow on question from that is, who do I ask for advice from? And for me, this is kind of where your boss or your peer network or your external coach or your HR business partner comes into play a lot. And I think it's kind of really important that you develop these kind of peer networks and check-in points throughout your week. And you get kind of really uh, focused and deliberate and self-aware about going, what are the things I am planning on doing this week? Are any of them even mildly controversial? Who do they impact? What are the risks? Who can I actually go talk it through with and double check my kind of approach or strategy here? I think there's this thing about communicating clarity over communicating clarity. It's just so important to make sure that you really understand what it is you are about to do and why and how it is you are approaching taking any follow-on actions. Like you said, I think it's kind of something that becomes obvious when you put it on paper, but it's not always obvious in the moment. And I think there's like a bigger lesson here, Rich, than just like a manager asking for advice. But this also, I think, applies like to everyone in pretty much in all walks of life is that we can never think that we kind of have enough information or the experience to just push forward on things. It's always a good bet to just ask for advice. It could be engineering manager asking advice from people on the team or another manager. It could be a parent asking advice from their own children, like, what do you think about this? But I think a lot of the good leaders, I guess you could say, that I've seen are good at this. I would always say as a manager, in general, I have a motto of my job isn't to be the smartest person in the room. My job is to figure out who the smartest person is in the room relating to any given topic and make sure we ask that person for their advice and listen to it. I think that's kind of good universal advice in general, but making sure that you always are humble, always staying humble and are always kind of open to feedback and advice is just like a general, really good principle, I think, to follow. Before we go on here with Rich, I want to take a one-minute break to once again recognize our sponsor, 
Thanks again to WPI for sponsoring this episode. Their part-time online graduate programs are specially designed for the working professional's hectic life. You'll earn the same degree as on-campus students without pressing pause on your career. Find out why WPI's faculty was named number one in combining research and teaching by the Wall Street Journal. Visit go the number two dot wpi dot edu slash T-E-C-C to explore over 15 graduate degree programs in science, technology, and engineering. That's geo, the number two, dot W-P-I dot E-D-U slash T-E-C-C. If you've been thinking about grad school, this is your sign. All right, the second one that you gave, the second of the four recommendations was don't blame, own. This one actually kind of ties back to humility a lot as well. And I know so many companies these days have core values or leadership principles around ownership. And it's around making sure that people always kind of step up, take the lead, do actually what needs to be done. And for me, you can often think about this as like just making progress, getting things done. And for me, it's kind of really important to always assess the situation at hand and go, It's kind of one thing to own things when things are actually going well, but you need to be able to step back and go, things actually aren't going so well here. I wonder why. Is it possible it's me? Why do I think it's the other person's fault? Let me actually put myself in their shoes and kind of go from their perspective. Is there something more they could have asked of from me? And really just going in with that humble mindset, assuming good intent, asking people for their perspective and really showing that vulnerability and showing that it is team effort and that you are open to their feedback and their perspective as well. In terms of taking ownership, I do think it's something that a lot of managers don't do very well for reasons of probably fear. They're afraid to take ownership of things because they have to also speak to their supervisors and their managers. And it takes someone with some courage to be able to say, listen, this is my responsibility as the manager, as the leader of this team. I have to own up to it, even if it was someone on the team that made a mistake. And so I think that that is really important. I do like what you said a lot about this idea of companies have core values. And sometimes I feel like companies or people that work in those companies don't even know what they are. So they're not very much aligned with what this company supposedly is projecting. But then again, Sometimes it's the opposite. Just recently, I went to meet with the CEO of an engineering firm, and I was just doing some research before I met with him. And sure enough, core values and a lot of information on the website was pointing to like being really innovative. This company wanted to be really innovative. And I sat down with this gentleman, and he was showing me all these ideas of how he wants to grow the firm, taking all these different innovative measures that really firms haven't done. And so to me, I felt like I was researching about this company and this CEO and, and I got there and it was exactly what I was expecting. And I think that that unfortunately these days is rare. And I think it gets more rare with larger companies because just it's hard to keep people on the same page and communicate that message. I think that's totally fair. And I think there are a rare enough few companies who are really, really true to their own core value statements. One of the keys there is what is you just observed, which is leaders leading by example. And this comes back to if you want to have a culture of ownership, managers have the opportunity to 
display that every day and find little interesting ways of doing it. And very much one of them is owning up to any kind of mistakes you might actually be making or even potentially making. One of the things I love to do is I send out an email every six weeks to everybody in my org saying, what did I actually do for the last six weeks? And I will call out, here are the things I said I was going to do. And here are the things I got done. Here are the things I didn't get done. And here are the mistakes I think I made. And here are the lessons I think I learned from them. I know it's maybe a little bit cliched, but being the change you want to see in the world is kind of really something I live by and think about a lot. And I don't think you can ask anybody to take ownership or step up or be candid and vulnerable if you as a leader aren't willing to publicly do that first. And I think it's fantastic that you researched a company where the CEO was willing to stand over values of innovation. And the first thing you heard talking to them was all about the innovation that actual company is doing, leading by example. It's all about leading by example. And the third recommendation that you had was to give feedback with empathy. And we talked a little bit about feedback so far, but this point specifically you talk about in the article is giving feedback is always important, but taking some time to think about the response. Can you talk about that a little bit? I have two absolute favorite books when it comes to giving feedback. One is Crucial Conversations and one is Radical Candor. And the Crucial Conversations one in particular has a framework called state, which is where you state the facts, tell your story, ask for alternatives, talk tentatively, and then explore together. And what it is really fantastic at helping you do is separate out facts and real things from feelings and potential bias or misunderstandings. And it's I find it this kind of really, really useful framework to follow. And what I usually end up doing is with any given situation where I am about to give somebody kind of difficult feedback, I would usually kind of take some time to write out all of the facts. What are kind of all of the undisputable things which have happened? And then I write out what are kind of my feelings or stories or thoughts, whatever. And I will kind of give myself license to be as negative as possible. And then after that, I kind of physically like stand up and step aside and go, okay, put myself in this other person's shoes. What do I know about them? And I will go like quite physical. I'd go, so name, age, where they live, everything I kind of know about them as a person, how I could imagine they are feeling or thinking. How do I think they might actually react to hearing all of these potentially kind of negative thoughts and how might they be hurt? What are some of the alternative ideas they might think, explanations they might have, and really kind of do my absolute best to really, really, really get into their shoes and think how they feel. And from there, then it, it nine times out of 10 softens my approach, gets me way more set up to then go in and talk to that person and go, hey, I'd love to give you some feedback. Here are kind of some facts I've observed. Here is like, one story of how I think they could be perceived. But on the other hand, this is how I think you kind of might think or might feel about it. I'd love with, given all of that context, I'd love for you to tell me what's your thoughts? How do you think about this? 
How actually can we move forward? Are there other things I don't know? Have I kind of really misunderstood this completely? Really, all I want to do is like gain a really, really strong shared understanding of the current situation and help us kind of figure out a path together to move forward. I found this kind of like forced empathy, stand up, step aside, put yourself in the other person's shoes, really, really, really powerful. On a couple of occasions, I've actually got out of the office, went for a walk for kind of 20 minutes and done all of this in my head. And I've never, ever, ever regretted putting the time and effort into kind of doing it that way. I find it really lets me be like direct and move fast. It kind of allows you to move fast in the conversation and direct and make it safe and really kind of show the other person that you really care about this. And you have spent the time and done the preparation in order to try and have the best possible conversation. And we'll link to those books in the show notes and crucial conversations I actually have here on my desk. It is really a good book with some good frameworks that you can use to help. And I, and I think that Rich makes a really good point there is that when you take the time to think through the responses from people before you actually take action, it can really help you to create a better approach or the best approach to try to whatever, have a conversation, give feedback, give them some kind of news that maybe they're not going to really be happy about hearing and create some scenarios like Rich gave his examples to set the scene, to kind of set the conversation so that you can hopefully make it easier on them, but also give the critical feedback that you need to give. And I think that great managers can do that. One of actually kind of my other tips and tricks is so I'm a parent. I have three young kids. And one of the things I always think about is what if one of my kids was grown up and was on the other side of the table? How would I actually want their manager to interact with them? How much kind of prep and thought would I actually want that person to put into the coming conversation? And that's kind of generally my bar for how much work I'm actually going to do ahead of the conversation. All right, Rich, the last recommendation that you gave was to savor your success. Talk about that one. Yeah, that one's fun. It's probably one of the things I've learned the hardest uh, being a manager, that success as a manager feels elusive and almost invisible sometimes. And I think as an engineer, we are used to building things and used to having tests pass or products shipped to production and customers using them and getting really great kind of feedback loops like that. And those feedback loops are usually relatively short. We can usually get some sort of a positive feedback every single day. And all of that kind of positive feedback, seeing things working, feeling them working is just so sustaining and invigorating. And then when you make the leap from engineer to manager, most of the time you are stepping back and you aren't building things and engineers are the ones who are actually building them. And you can find yourself going, what do I do? How do I actually get my feeling of success or feeling of momentum? And I think it's just a really important thing to be aware of because if you don't actually find your positive feedback loops or if you don't actually notice them when they happen, management can feel never-ending or exhausting. And I think burnout is kind of really easy to happen. That's why I think talking to your manager, having a really good manager of managers who is able to help you figure out what these successes are and help you kind of see them happen on a 
day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis is just so important. And taking the time to kind of recognize, hey, this engineer is doing really well, or hey, I haven't had to have any difficult conversations with people over the last couple of months. Wow, this is absolutely fantastic. I must be doing something right. And giving yourself a little bit of pat on the back every so often, because so much of the last few things I've talked about is all around kind of humility and vulnerability and openness to failure. And you still just need to take time to recognize uh, recognize your successes and have fun in the role as well. All right, now it's time for our Take Action Today segment of the show where we're going to wrap this one up. And Rich Archibald has one more important piece of advice for managers out there that you should really know. He's going to give that to you in a minute. But before we do that, I do want to take a moment once again to recognize our sponsor for today's episode, PPI. Do you want to advance in your career but not sure where to start? All of us have been there at one point. One surefire way to grow in your profession is to get your engineering license. The best place to gather info on licensure and pick from multiple review options is PPI2Pass.com. PPI has helped over 4 million engineers pass their licensure exam and become leaders in their fields. Visit PPI2Pass.com to learn how you can start preparing for your exam right away and take one step closer to career advancement. That's PPI2Pass.com. For a little extra encouragement, I have a 20% off promo code available to listeners of this podcast. Use promo code TECC8 on PPI's website for an exclusive 20% discount. Again, that's promo code TECC and the number 8. So once again, we're talking here with Rich Archbold from Intercom. We're just wrapping up with Rich, but Before we let him go, I do just want to reinforce that this is a super important topic. We're doing a lot of research on this at the Engineering Management Institute in terms of what makes an effective manager. And this is one of the reasons we're doing it is because it has become very clear that managers have a major impact on the engagement of employees, on how long they stay with firms. You have that influence. And you know, Rich kind of outlines in his article four recommendations for you to make sure that you're not one of those managers that people are quitting on. And the four recommendations that we went through were, number one, always ask for advice. Number two, don't blame, own, take that responsibility. Number three, to give feedback with empathy. And Rich talked about really thinking through what kind of response people are going to give you. Try to put yourself into their exact shoes to set a better approach in terms of discussing something with them, giving them feedback. And then lastly, we just talked about savoring your success. You know, you got to celebrate these things. It's a team effort. It can't just be about driving, driving, driving towards a goal, getting to it, and then just starting the process over again without having any type of celebration. Rich, thanks for taking the time to do this with us. Before we let you go, I'm wondering if you have any last pieces of advice that you might give those engineering managers out there or aspiring engineering managers just from your own experience. I would always think about the job of a manager is to help your team deliver the most value sustainably by bringing out the best in your people. And I would just emphasize that by bringing out the best in your people bit and just always think, how can I help these people be better versions of themselves? That's kind of really what it's all about. I hope you enjoyed the episode today with Rich Archbold. This really is a topic that I'm passionate about. 
We do a lot of work here at the Engineering Management Institute on engineering management and developing effective managers. And it is true that when you lose an employee, oftentimes it's because of the manager. And that's why our goal is to help to develop more effective engineering managers and leaders. I was really excited to find Rich's article and to be able to share it here with you and with him discussing it specifically. This is our last podcast episode of the year. Thanks again for a wonderful year and support from our listeners. We're just about to hit the 2 million download mark for the Engineering Career Coach podcast, and I'm still kind of pinching myself over that. I remember publishing the first episode in a hotel room in Anchorage, Alaska years ago, thinking, I don't know what's going to happen with this podcast, but you've made it really what it is, and I appreciate that. One other thing I want to mention is we have some new courses coming up. And you can check them all out at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Just go to our training tab on the website. We've got courses for everybody. We just revamped our resume and interview course for engineering students. We just put on a new engineering management accelerator online workshop, which helps engineers go from engineer to manager. We just published an on-demand version. So now you could do it on your own pace. And we have a new goal setting and decision course coming out. And we have a business development course, the Seller Doer Academy program, which is relaunching again in January. We now have it in five-week spurts. So all that is there and available for you, engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Go to the training tab, invest in yourself. It is the absolute best investment you can make. And if you're looking for any specifics from this episode, we'd love to hear your feedback, comments, and or questions. Just go to our website at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org and look for the Engineering Career Coach Podcast, episode 192. There you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books that Rich or I mentioned during this episode. Until next time, I want to not only wish you all the best in your engineering career endeavors, but I want to wish you a healthy and happy new year. And we will be here to help you succeed in 2019 and beyond. Thank you. The strategies that you heard in this episode will be of no use to you unless you take action and start to implement them in your career immediately. To help you do that, we have designed a system that you can use at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. It combines live monthly webinars with PDHs plus a private forum giving you access to coaches and premium content focused on helping you build your management and leadership skills. Join us for our next live webinar at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org and we'll help you engineer your own success.